First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. I mean, look, you ask any home buyer or any home builder, do you prefer 3% rates or 4% rates? Do you prefer 4% rates or 5% rates? They're always going to prefer the lower number there. Uh, And I do think 5% is a psychological trigger for a lot of people. And we heard that loud and clear from builders we survey this month. A lot of them saying, hey, we're at 5% rates. I'm hearing buyers talk about that. And it's causing some concern. But I mean, macro... Macro is always important. It's particularly important right now. Good morning, folks. This is Clayton Collins. I'm the CEO at HW Media. And today I'm joined by Rick Palacios, Director of Research and Managing Principal at John Burns Real Estate Consulting. Rick and the team at John Burns do an incredible job in their monthly home builder survey. And over the last few months, those results, over the last few years, those results have been incredibly positive and incredibly bullish. In March, they took a little bit of a turn. And as mortgage interest rates hit 5%, builders really started shouting a a cautionary tone and uh, a lot of concern for a lot of dynamics happening in the new home construction market and their view on the the rest of, of 2022. The mortgage and real estate market have, has been looking to the home builders for, for more inventory. So this is a potentially challenging dynamic. And I hope that our audience pays close attention to some of the insights and expertise that comes out of John Burns Real Estate Consulting as shared by Rick. Hope you enjoy the episode. In today's changing market, Rocket Pro TPO gives brokers the tools they need to compete and win more business. Experience Pro Performance, the industry's elite training with three pillars. Sales training gives you the skills to do more for your clients. Platform training helps you maximize rocket technology and process. All Access combines the best of both trainings in a live session where you'll meet your team. Learn more about Pro Performance at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states and MLS number 3030. Yeah, so we started this podcast in 2017, and uh, I I did a couple seasons as host, and then passed off to our editor in chief Sarah Wheeler. And then about a year and a half ago, we launched Housing Wire Daily, which is kind of like a daily news digest. So now Sarah dedicates all of her time to, or all of her podcast time to Housing Wire Daily, and I took Housing News back over, which is our like week weekly interview show. Um, so it's. I think we're counting seasons, but seasons aren't technically aren't full years. But this is our our eighth season of the show, and uh, we've done I think a little over a hundred episodes. And uh, so, yeah, no, that's that's cool. We we've been doing a podcast too. I, I mean, podcasts really became massive, obviously during COVID, and they're they're crazy popular. I should listen to them more. I, I it's not one of the, the mediums I go to for content, but I probably should. Yeah, it's um, I I, I enjoy it. 
or I listen to a lot of podcasts on like commute and, and walks. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm kind of selective. I don't listen to like every episode of every show I subscribe to, but if there's like a, an interesting speaker on that, you know, aligns with something I want to learn, I, I feel like it's just a, it's a, it's another way to like consume knowledge. And like, you're not, I'm not always in front of my inbox. I'm not always like trying to read like, like long form research, but like if you're on a walk, on a run in the car, like it feels like a great way to, to absorb knowledge. And what I, I, I like to think that like our, our audience um, likely listens to like our or reads our newsletters and like visits housingwire.com. But like sometimes if they're on the road or like exercising and they like don't want to sit in front of their computer, this is a, this is another way to, to stay smart on what's happening in the housing market. No, I, I totally agree. Well, I'm thrilled to be able to connect, Rick. I, uh, and I've been following you on, on Twitter and the whole John Burns team on Twitter for quite a while. And, and last month, uh, I think it was right after the, the February home builder survey came out. You, you tweeted some of the top themes like record high new home price increases at 20% year over year nationally, record low builder finished inventory, demand off the charts and quality of home buyer prospects still solid. And then you even shared some like anecdotes. Like the, I think there was a community in Charlotte, which is actually a, a market I used to, to live in. So like I, I really got caught my attention that some of the new builder communities have like, I, I think there was a community of 50 homes and there was a thousand person wait list. And like, if that's not a narrative or a, or a kind of a, a, a descriptor of what this housing market feels like, then I, I don't know what is. Uh, so, and it's, what's amazing too is, so we, we do, I appreciate you, you following us all on Twitter and we've got an amazing team that helps put all this together, but the survey that you're referencing, uh, we've been doing that for 13 years or so, and it's a really good sample size. Uh, we've calculated it, and so we're, we're, we're proxying about 20% of all new home sales on a monthly basis that we are actually capturing visibility on. We're getting builder executives to rate hundreds of markets, how they think sales are doing. So. The sample size is fantastic. And it's for me and a lot of our clients, it is the earliest, most accurate read on what's going on. And that that's a good segue because the tone from that month's survey to the survey that we are about to release to clients telling them, hey, here's exactly what happened for the month, month of March is significantly different. Uh, and I think... The big driver there is when I think about mortgage rates, you kind of have these phases where the initial phase of rates starting to creep higher and higher does create this urgency for people that have been on the fence and thinking about it. But then when you start to get runaway rate creep, which is a set, which is basically what happened second half of March in particular. And, and now we're staring, we're staring at 5% rates, uh, which hasn't been the case since end of 18. That's where you start to get more buyers saying, Hey, wait a second. I can't qualify. Do I really want to do this? And that's the tone that we picked up throughout the survey this month. So Last month in February, did you have a view of what runaway rates would look like? Did you have like a, a view of like what is the threshold where home buyers really start to second guess their decisions and builders start to digest what that means for their businesses? Yeah, I think 
I mean, look, you ask any home buyer or any home builder, do you prefer 3% rates or 4% rates? Do you prefer 4% rates or 5% rates? They're always going to prefer the lower number there. Uh, and I do think 5% is, is a psychological trigger for a lot of people. And, and we heard that loud and clear from builders we survey this month. A lot of them saying, hey, we're at 5% rates. I'm hearing buyers talk about that. And it's causing some concern. But I mean, macro, macro is always important. Um, it's particularly important right now. And, and so the way that I like to think about this too is what is, what is the macro backdrop look like for consumer, for housing today versus call it second half of 2020, which is right when, you know, post COVID, the surge in housing, the economy's on fire, all these things. And then all the way really through the third quarter, probably of last year, the backdrop is significantly different. Um, and, and I, and I think, you know, to, to think that buyers make the most important purchase decision in their lifetime in a, in a vacuum is, is naive. And so like, you just kind of go through these, all right, let's check off the boxes. What does the economy look like right now versus what did it look like 2020, 2021 coming out of COVID? You've got rampant inflation hitting every single decision that the consumer makes right now namely housing, that was not the case really up until probably the third quarter, fourth quarter of last year, um, 40 year high on inflation. So it's like every consumer is feeling that. Um, and if you go to fill up your tank with gas here in California, you're staring at six, six, $6, $7 gasoline, which is just insane. Um, macro stuff, you think about geopolitical volatility, right? Anybody that picks up a newspaper, things aren't looking all fantastic right now. Uh, there's rumblings of World War III, possibly like that. That is not something that the consumer likes to see and go, "Oh yeah, I go pull a trigger on a home right now." Um, and then stock market volatility, capital markets starting to seize up when it comes to IPOs. And then, last but not least, the Fed. I mean, the Fed, especially in the last couple of weeks, has just started to really ramp up the tone on, "Hey, we are going to do everything and anything we can do." to rein in inflation. And, and you're seeing that flow through to short-term rates and you're seeing it flow through to longer-term rates, which is where we get mortgage rates. And so when I just kind of go through as an analyst and check off these boxes of fantastic time for the economy, housing, consumer, not so fantastic time, we're, we're, we're entering into this not so fantastic time if you want to just kind of boil it all down. We think about all the the negative factors of of rising interest rates and potential world war and um, inflation and like all all the points you just talked through, but then we kind of take at the look uh, a look at the American home buyer and demographics in our country and the counter to all the arguments of like, hey, we have some economic headwinds in front of us that make buying a home right now less attractive than it was yesterday, less attractive when it was twelve months ago, less attractive than it was twenty four months ago, but you still have more. American potential home buyers turning the age of 30, 31, 32, forming households, having kids, buying, getting dogs, like things that are uh, inflection points for home ownership happening at a, at a rate. And you can't, you can't argue demographics. How do demographics come into play with the health of the home builder market? Yeah. So totally agree. Um, but what I will say is 
when a buyer is staring down a payment shock, like let's, let's pretend that you were in the market for a home a year ago and you're running the math and kind of stepped back. And now you're coming, you're starting to come back in thinking about buying a home. The math that you're running tells you the payment shock from what it was a year ago is now probably 34%, 30 to 40% higher in a lot of these rip roaring markets. And so that's where I think it's, it is, it's hard to use long-term structural backdrop fundamentals to have a short-term view when the market is moving as quickly as it is right now. And, and so look, let, let, let's say that rates start to come down again. Um, we're back to probably what we were seeing in the market in February, but when rates hit this level and you've had crazy home price appreciation over the last year, two years, three years. Um, and by the way, entry level buyers are not benefiting at all from that home price appreciation that move up buyers are. I mean, they're going into the market just basically looking at what is my payment. Um, they're not able to leverage the crazy gains that move up buyers have had. And for builders, the entry level market is a meaningful, meaningful part of the business. And when we look through our survey results for this month, the entry level buyer is where we saw probably the, the sharpest pullback, namely when it comes to cancellations starting to pick up. So cancellations were notably higher at that entry level point. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's, so cancellation rates are basically, um, on a monthly basis, the percentage of a builder's orders that are dropping out saying, you know what, I can't do this. I don't want to, or I can't qualify anymore. Um, and then they can't sell that same home within the same month. So right now, cancellation rates haven't moved significantly higher on a percentage basis. But the reason there is that the well of potential buyers is still pretty significant that do qualify. And so the builder is able to take that home that like, let's say Clayton, you decided not to do it. Then they're able to flip it and go, okay, well, Rick, you qualified, you still want to buy it. Here you go. And so it doesn't get registered necessarily as a spike in cancellation rates. Um, but as that well of potential buyers starts to thin out, and that is what we're hearing. And, and the qualitative color, I always feel is the best leading indicator for the hard data. That is where you will start to see cancellation rates as a percentage for builders start to pick up because they're not able to take that home that dropped out and sell it to another buyer within the yep. same month. So take that community in Charlotte that had the thousand person wait list for 51 homes. Is that list now just 500 people, not a thousand? And is it that bad for builders when they're under contract at 550,000 and someone drops out and they can go to the next person on the waiting list for 570,000? Oh, so, so for sure. As long as you are able to flip that home that a buyer canceled on immediately, you're able as a builder to capture even more margin on it because you're able to sell it at current market pricing, but your basis for your construction costs from a year, two years ago, yeah. were significantly lower. So that's, as long as that works, it's fantastic for builders. But when the market hits an inflection point, affordability starts to get squeezed, which is what we're seeing right now, 
you can't count on that happening it forever is, is probably a simple way of saying it. And again, the, the qualitative commentary we got in our survey this month, builder after builder after builder telling us that our wait lists are shrinking. So that tells me that those Charlotte crazy numbers that you mentioned, um, that the potential buyers are are starting to drop off. And this kind of goes back to the, you know, the view of, you know, I, I, I don't think consumers make this important of a decision in a vacuum. And there's just, there's a lot of other things going on right now in the consumer's mind, in their wallet, than just what's happening with my mortgage payment. So uh, how do builder wait lists work? Like what's the skin in the game for a buyer to get on the wait list? And I, I'm kind of equating this in my head to what I've heard about people with uh, electric cars. Like they went on like the Rivian wait list and the Ford Lightning wait list and the Tesla wait list and whoever delivered first they took and, you know, it was a like hundred bucks to get on the list. So like they're, they're worth like kind of having the, op- it's worth having the option out there. What, what, what is there more skin in the game on getting on a wait list for one of, for builder for new construction? Not necessarily. It, you know, it, it, it varies for for builders, but to get on a on a wait list, um, typically you will have to pre qualify, uh, and so so there is there is a bit of legwork required for the buyer. Okay, but but what we what we heard over and over again this month was that buyers that got on my pre qualification list, my wait list, um, well, they did this six months ago. And, and now we're getting to the point where I've got a home that I can sell them. Oh, by the way, it may not be ready for another five, six months down the line. So there's risks of rates going up even more. And so as, as home builders are going through these wait lists, they're realizing, okay, buyer A pre-qualified at 3% mortgage rates, maybe three and a half percent mortgage rates. And now the game has totally changed and we're at 5% mortgage rates. And so they're having to kick out a lot of these, a lot of these potential buyers that, that did qualify and no longer do. And this is where like, you know, if I had to do um, a word cloud, just kind of, you know, word clouds, like how, how common are certain phrases as you go through all of the conversations that, that we've been picking up uh, over the last month, buyers, that are no longer able to qualify. I mean, that, that was a very, very consistent theme. Nervousness, yep. uh, caution. I think, you know, there's a handful of comments on freaking out. So like, I, I can't remember in, you have to go probably back to end of 18 for that to be a, uh, a common theme across our builder comments. And I, and I rewind the clock too, because I remember, um, I mean, we have, we've got builder clients across the country and I remember being in, I think it was Seattle and I was going around just visiting a bunch of builders and clients. Um, end of 18 is like end of summer, kind of early fall, right. As rates started to get almost touch 5% back in late 2018 and builders felt it immediately. And it was just like, our offices are quiet. There's nothing going on. Um, and then rates came down as they got, as we got into 2019. But again, thinking about the macro backdrop now, um, 
the potential for rates to stay high, just given what we're seeing on the inflation side and what we know the Fed is going to do, that's where I think you you are, you know, I like to think about it like as, as kind of the pendulum swinging and the pendulum is starting to swing towards more of a, hey, there's, there's more risks out there um, for the economy, for the consumer. And so even if you as a buyer have the capacity to buy a home, and this, this came up too in a lot of the, the comments from builders that they were hearing from their buyers, even if you can qualify at 5%, do you want to still make that purchase when you think there's a possibility you may be you may be buying at the top of the market. And I'm not saying we are at the top of the market, but definitely we're at this inflection. There's the capacity to do it or and then there's the do I actually want to do it? One of the concepts I talk about and kind of struggle with as we look at the health of the housing market is there's clearly some unhealthy dynamics going on. Home price appreciation running at 20% is not sustainable. It's unhealthy for first-time home buyers. It's going to wipe out a whole, potentially a part of a generation of people who would be entering the the, the housing ladder um, and causes a whole nother like, world world of issues for the entire housing economy. But homeowners love it. You're, right? you're seeing your home values shoot up and it feels good when you, you own real estate and you, you see it shoot up. So there's this rapid home price appreciation problem, which is, which is loved and, and hated at the same time. And, and, and what I'm, what I'm trying to, to get to here is there like that home price appreciation can kind of bring up topics of, um, home value, uh, bubbles or concerns about home values staying where they are. And when I, I'll come back to that earlier comment I made about demographics and saying like, well, when you look at the number of households forming, it feels like we have a very solid floor beneath the value of homes today. And we, I, I don't see any like bubbly dynamics where we're looking at a future where home prices are coming down at a significant rate. So if you were buying at the top and you believe that there is a floor underneath the current value of, of homes, does that really matter? And if, uh, as long as you were getting the house you want and we're not every cycle is like the cycle we saw in, in 2008. Yeah, I mean the look the the advice is always buy a home to live in it, not as as an investment. Um, the reality is there's a lot of people that aren't that rational, and there is a lot of investors driving what's going on in housing right now. Um, and so. While, while I agree with, with you on that, and yeah, if you're going to stick around in your home for 10 years plus, lock in your payment. If rates drop, refi all the way down. Um, but what gives us concern right now, and sorry to be to be overly negative, but we did a, we did a paper back in um, March of 2021 called Investor Mania 2.0. I don't know if you saw that. And the reason that we did it was because we realized what was what was driving the housing market probably at a higher rate than what most people were understanding or baking into their thesis was investors. Um, and that was March 21. Fast forward to, I think the most recent data we have on this is January or February. And this is us combing through public records. Uh, we have investor transactions as a percentage of all resale sales, new home sales nationally at 
and so, and there's this, there, this was the, the 2020 metric or no this is this is now basically this is the most recent okay. data we have and there are a lot of markets where investors are 35 40% of transactions right now and so like let let's unpack that. Uh, what what do we consider an investor to be? And and the litmus test that we use there is the property tax records are going to a different address than the the property in question. So you are you are getting some second home vacation in there, and there's been a crazy surge in that post COVID. Um, but you are also getting people buying homes to then go and rent them out. We all know that's huge right now. Uh, you're getting fix and flippers. You're getting eye buyers that are feeding into that. And, and so when you aggregate all that, you get to a 30% figure at a national level. And so the reason we did that paper uh, was because what we have found historically is that investors, when times are really good and they've been really good up until recently, they it's like pouring fuel on the fire and things just get rip roaring really fast and they accelerate trends to the upside but when you hit that inflection point and the pendulum starts to swing the other way and now i think you could make an argument that that is starting to happen uh our research our analysis of cycles tells us that you should probably expect the exact reverse of that and that they would they will probably start to accelerate the trend down because if investors are 40% of a market and they're buying based off of the thesis of I can get into this home, I can flip it in two months, three months, six months, whatever it is, and make a ton of money, um, that story starts to change really quickly when you move from 3% mortgage rates to 5% mortgage rates and, and the buyer pool starts to shrink of who you can flip that to. And, and, the, and the other thing too is um, we, we, we picked this up in our survey in terms of the comments this month from builders is that um, they were hearing investors starting to back away in some markets. And so that for us is, okay, antennas up, let's go and reassess all these markets where we know investors are a meaningful part of housing and if that continues, we probably need to revise our forecast down sharper in those markets. I mean, Austin flipping activity was up, I think, seventy percent year over year. I, that that is not that is not sustainable, and it tells you it tells you what is going on in that market right now. I mean, Austin home prices, like think about this: Austin home prices. If our forecasts are correct for this year, Austin home prices, I believe, have doubled. No, actually, I think they're yeah, I think they're up like two hundred percent since I think twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. So I'm and so like you know, you, I'm I'm in Austin right now. Go ahead, I'm, you're in. I'm in Austin right now. I'm yeah. in a hotel room at the Future of Real Estate Summit, and yesterday I, I forgot um, running shoes. So I went to the Fleet Feet store and bought a new pair of shoes, and the guy that sold me my shoes was telling me that he asked what I do. I said, oh, media and real estate, and. Uh, and he's like, Oh, I, I bought an investment property about 18 months ago. It's, it's doubled in value. Like best decision I ever made. Like I was literally talking about this with the retail shoe salesman yesterday. So that, that's one of those check off the boxes, not sustainable 
somewhat frothy backdrop. Um, and yeah, it's, there's a lot of those types of stories. And what, what I think, what I think too, um, doesn't get covered probably as much as it should is, you know, everybody says, and I, and I will say like from a supply standpoint, um, very tight on supply. And I think that feeds into your, your comments earlier on, okay, like let's say the economy falls off a cliff, rates keep going up and housing just hits the skids. Um, the safety net of not having a massive glut of supply like we did during the great financial crisis, that is a good thing. That's a good thing for sure. But what I think doesn't get covered all that much is, um, you know, people think about investors and there's, there's this like recency bias, right? Where you only remember the last example of something. And so people think, oh, well, investors were like everybody for the most part knows the big short and saw that movie or read the book maybe. And these are your average Joe, no skin in the game, no income, no job, no assets. Those are the ninja loans. And everybody and anybody could buy three, four, five homes. That's not happening, um, which is great, which is good. But where, where the, so like, I, I always like to, wherever the credit is flowing is probably where you need to really hone in on because that's where the, the risks will pop up eventually. So the credit has, has pivoted and flowed to small mom and pop landlords. And they are the ones that are really driving um, this, this boom and investor mania across a lot of these housing markets. And that's, that's not anecdotal. That is, that is quantitative. I mean, we have the data across all these markets that, that tells us that's exactly the case. There's only one market. And we talked about Charlotte earlier. Um, Charlotte is the only market right now from what we see where institutional investors that like, let's say own 10 plus homes across the country make up a bigger percentage than small mom and pop investors. Every other market across the country, it is the small mom and pop landlords that are driving this. And, and, and I mean, you go on YouTube, there's podcasts and we're on a podcast right now, but there's podcasts, uh, bigger pockets that I mean, this, this is, this is a big narrative over the last two, three years. And there's a lot of lenders that fly under the radar. These are not the big banks, the Wells and the JP Morgans that everybody's familiar with. These are, these are smaller lenders, not publicly traded, um, that are, are providing the financing for a lot of these individuals to buy homes, flip them, to buy homes, aggregate rental portfolios. And you have to think that as rates start to climb, the underwriting mass starts to shift. Can I sell the home for what I thought I could sell it for? Those, those conversations start to change and, and you have to think that some of that capital will start to slow down. And now we're gonna take a, a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Jump into non-QM. Start by learning about our most utilized non-QM products, the bank statement loan for the self-employed. Tom Hutchins here from Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions with this week's non-QM Minute. The bank statement program is important for two reasons. First, because there are so many self-employed borrowers out there, prospecting for them is relatively easy. 
The self-employed make up over 30% of the population of U.S. workers, and this number continues to rise. The profile of a self-employed borrower we work with has an average 740 credit score or good to excellent credit, is buying a high-priced primary or second home, and most have a very large down payment. Second is that self-employed borrowers likely have an issue qualifying for the home they want using their tax returns since they often take full advantage of tax write-offs. Oftentimes, these borrowers have been turned away from other lenders because of their tax returns, but you can be the solution. So don't turn away from this underserved market. Simply send us the application and the bank statements, and we'll calculate the income for you right up front. Thanks for listening to this week's Non-QM Minute. Well, when you talk to mortgage and real estate professionals, one of the themes that continues to pop is they feel like builders, home builders did not do their job over the last decade by building enough houses to meet the demand of today's market. So today's mortgage lender, real estate agent, completely driven by by volume, uh, as you were just hitting on the, the credit quality is good. So all the concerns are, are on volume. Are there enough houses to, to sell and finance? And I've seen in John Burns research, that the, the average um, from 2010 to 2019 was about 2.9 um, single family starts for community. And I think that's trending higher today. But one of the themes that I, I heard at the National Association of Home Builders show in, in Orlando uh, a, a month or two back is builders focusing on this investor class and doing a lot more build to rent communities. Is, is that, is that which is kind of counter to like the housing industry's demands of like, Hey, give us more, give us more single family uh, homes to like solve this inventory crisis and, and uh, pro- propel move up buyers to, to move into new construction and give us more existing inventory to sell. Is that trend notable where builders are focusing the, you know, the limited resources they have on building these, these, um, rentable single family homes that, that are likely going to be home, owned by institutional owners? It gets a ton of attention for sure. Um, single family rental industry, build for rent. And I think probably pretty much every mm-hmm. big public home builder and a lot of private home builders of larger scale have uh, started to dip their toes there uh, or officially make announcements. But um, it's it's still coming off of an extremely, extremely low level. Uh, I think the math that we've run internally is that you're probably looking at all-in, purpose-built, for-rent communities. And, and this is fully contained, call it 25 units um, or more, plus home builders that are selling homes one-off to rental investors. Um I mean, you're probably talking maybe 80 to 100,000 units on an annual basis when you aggregate both of those. Um, and we had what, I think we're forecasting maybe 1.2 million single family starts this year. So ton of attention, ton of buzz, but, um, and I do think it's going to be a long-term structural shift for the industry, um, but it's not moving the needle massively. Um I mean, the way that I, I think about that too, for, for, from a home builder's perspective is, I mean, home building is one of the hardest, most difficult, volatile, uncertain industries that you can possibly be in. I mean, think about it. Think about the duration of an asset. I'm buying this land oftentimes years before 
I will actually be able to monetize it by selling a home. Think about all the things that could go wrong during that time frame. Um, and, and so it is a hairy, stressful business um, for sure. And so, and the reason I say that is because if you could diversify your business and smooth out some of the volatility and not have to live or die by the for sale housing cycle, which we all know is cyclical, um, why wouldn't you do that? And that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, the rental industry, the single family rental industry has always been a very meaningful part of the housing ecosystem. Uh, but the part that hasn't been there is new construction going into the single family rental industry. And so by builders um, diversifying and having a part of their business that is less exposed to the to the how cyclical the for sale side of housing is um that makes total sense makes total sense um i mean why not have a chunk of your business that is positive cash flow when the for sale side isn't doing all that great and then when the market starts to rebound on the for sale side if you want to monetize the rental portfolios and there's a ton of optionality there now with all the groups investing in that space, then you can recycle that capital back into your for sale business. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that is not going to go away. It's from a strategic standpoint, it makes total sense for home builders. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. But what I think you were asking too was, you know, why, why can't builders just build more homes? And there's this like, you know, why haven't, why haven't they done it? Why haven't they done it? Why haven't they done it? Um, and, and I kind of hit on how, well, it's extremely difficult. And then you run into the buzzsaw of coming out of COVID, the supply chain chaos. And we we finally threw in the towel last month on trying to predict that the supply chain was going to improve this year. Um, and the reason that we threw in the towel was we saw what happened with uh, Omicron, absenteeism, and then you got to end of February and all the geopolitical uh, volatility, supply chains just getting even worse, input costs getting even worse. I mean, everything that hits a construction site has to be on a truck at some point. And so not a shocker, costs are going up because fuel costs drive that. Um, and then you think about what's going on in China right now with locked up lockdowns again, because of their zero COVID policy, we threw in the towel and said, look, supply chain is not going to get better this year. Uh, let's talk about it in 2023. And one of the, there's always, there's always like the new issue popping up for builders and it was, it still is garage doors. It still is windows. It's all these things that that we've all been talking about for a long time. Um, but what, what we heard in the last few months was um, a transformer shortage for job sites and, and builders having to run construction off of generators. And so usually, usually it takes a couple months to get um, uh, electric transformers out to a job site. And we heard it's taking six months to more than a year 
And, and so like, again, this is something that I think the narrative of just build more, just build more, just build more. Yeah. That's, that's easy to say, but the reality is this is an extremely messy business and it got even messier with all of the supply chain nuttiness. And then that got even messier post geopolitical. Uh, and so that's, that's the world we're in right now. That's wild. It feels like so many similarities to the the mortgage industry that kind of despite the industry's best efforts of implementing technology, the, the time to complete a loan and the cost to complete a loan just keeps creeping upward. And here we are looking at the, the home building sector and we talk about innovation in home building and innovation in supplies. And here we are looking at a market where unpredictable things like transformer supply chains end up dragging out the the time to complete a home and the the cost to complete a home. And this has to impact builder sentiment um, as we watch what those things do to builder stock prices. Just this morning, CNBC was talking about um, Pulte, DR Horton, Lennar, and then like Home Depot on the supply side of like all, all hitting cycle lows, um, as they're not, as they, as they face these challenges around labor and supply chain. And it sounds like those were some of the issues that were, that were loud and vocal in this, in this most recent March survey. What changed in the, like, did you get a sense from like February to March where like the sentiment was like, awesome, like rah, rah, like running forward at full speed in February. But we've been talking about uh, labor uh, shooting or the cost of labor and labor shortages shooting up for the better part of the last year. We've been talking about supply chains being impacted for the better part of the last year and a half. A reference back to the National Association of Home Builders event, the couple panels that I attended were primarily about builders figuring out um, how do they get like two, three, four different appliance suppliers just in case their number one can't fulfill, they have number two or number three, or like warehousing um, appliances and supplies. Like these, these conditions have existed for a bit. What is unique about March where it really started to hit the sentiment in the builder's face. So is, or is it rates? Are we going back to rates at the top of the, actually, at the, top it, of the conversation? It's actually, it's a, it's a combo. Um, the supply chain, and this goes back to why we, we kind of threw in the towel on supply chain getting better this year. Um, the cost escalation, bricks and sticks labor for builders got even worse in the first quarter of this year. So um, I think the stat that we have from our survey was that construction costs were up 23% year over year in the first quarter. Uh, And the comments and conversations that we've been picking up are that builders that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, the last couple of months have been the worst that they have seen from a cost creep standpoint. And, and so as a builder, when you, when you run into this buzzsaw of my costs are rising crazy fast, faster than what I anticipated. And the reality is I may not be able to control that because of what's going on in the supply chain, fuel costs, rampant inflation everywhere I touch coupled with 
Rates are now 5%. My buyer pool is starting to lessen. Um, buyers are telling me they don't want to buy this home because it's too expensive and the payment shock is material for them. Th that's, that's not an ideal backdrop. Costs going up faster, faster, faster. I can't control it. But my buyer pool shrinking and my buyer's ability to qualify for a home shrinking. Um, I think that's what is showing up in what you, what you referenced earlier for sure when it comes to the financial markets. Interesting dynamic. So 23% jump in labor materials. And I think we talked earlier about net prices increasing. So there's a, there's a, a fair amount of that can be can be passed through, but ultimately it sounds like we're just, we're, we're hitting a ceiling in terms of how much can be passed through. And, uh, and that's going to be make for a, a, a hairy Q2 in home builder land. Yeah. I mean, fuel surcharges, again, going back to that, if I did a word cloud, that was a comment used throughout the builder commentary that we picked up this month. Um, and that all has to get passed on to somebody. And, and this is kind of to, to bring it full circle to how we started the conversation. Builders and housing had almost unlimited pricing power second half of 2020 and then probably through third quarter ish of 2021. And a big, and a big part of that was just that housing kind of had a, uh, was it was unique in that that is really where inflation was hitting the consumer, hitting the economy. Now today it's everywhere. And that is, that is a totally, totally different backdrop. And if you just go through that fundamental exercise of what did it look like a year ago, two years ago, what are, where are we now? And there's a significant difference there. Um, your views and your thesis should probably shift as well. And that's, that's basically what we're doing. So Rick, we've talked a lot about kind of the, the median response for the, the most recent home builders survey. So were there any outliers in the research of whether, whether it was builders that focus on a certain segment of the market, whether affordable or high end, any regions, did you see any specific bright spots or particularly areas that were particularly darker than others? And kind of trying to understand the, the full spectrum of, of home builders here, not, not just the average, not just the median. Yeah. Um, that move up buyer that has a big chunk of change from the home price appreciation that they've realized over the last two, three, four years or whatever it is, they're going to be less impacted by rates hitting 5%. Um, and then especially if you're moving from a crazy expensive market to a market that's not as expensive and that is still happening today, um, outflows from California, the Northeast into more affordable pockets of the country. Um, so in terms of who, who is outperforming right now, um, that, that is a pocket of the market that is not being as impacted. Um, but again, again, there's a window where people continue to do that. And then you get into this environment of, all right, well, now things have changed so much. Do I really want to do this right now? And that's where if you start to see homes sitting on the market longer and we're starting to pick up anecdotal evidence of that happening on the resale side, 
home sitting a bit longer, a little bit more supply, starting to see some price cuts. Um, so that move up buyer now, maybe a month, two months from now, doesn't have the chunk of change that they thought they had to go and buy that next home. Um, so these are like kind of the 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 knock-on effects that we're, we're trying to anticipate. Um, and then we mentioned on the entry-level side, th- that's that's the part of the market that always feels it first when rates start to climb. And we definitely saw that. I mean, what what builders and buyers are doing to, to offset some of this um, is they're, they're doing less options in the home. You know, before I was going to put maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 K mm-hmm. into this house in options. Um, and oh, by the way, those are the highest margin part of a builder's business, super high margins on options. And now because my, uh, my payment has jumped, I don't really know if I feel as comfortable doing that. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop or, or maybe kind of water down the options that I planned on putting into the home. Which is a double, a double whammy for the builder. Yeah. Margins, um, margins on that stuff are, are, are fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's, there's always early indicators of price declines on the new home side. And one of the earliest indicators is, um, lot premiums going away. So, you know, when you go out and tour a community and lot, the, the lots that have the best view, there's, there's a premium immediately that goes on those. And when the market starts to pull back, those lot premiums start to shrink pretty quickly. Um, and, and those are some of the comments that we've been picking up, which again, big picture now versus a year ago, that's a totally, total, total shift. Uh, lot premiums were all the rage when things were crazy, crazy good. So to kind of bring this conversation back to the macro housing market, it feels like we're having a re- relatively pessimistic conversation about the the state of home building and like some of the, the the changes that have appeared in March. But when we think back on some of the commentary of the last six months, like a lot of what's happening right now is exactly what the housing market may have needed for a for a healthier future. And when we looked at extremely low inventory over the last year, over the last quarter, the thing that that needed to happen to make this market slightly less competitive and stop having scenarios where there's a hundred offers on a single existing home that goes for five, 10, 20% over ask is, is rates to, to tick up a little bit. And, uh, so it's, it feels funny to me that we're like, we're at a place where we might be getting what we asked for some of the dynamics that might make this housing market come a little closer to equilibrium. But at the same time, it feels incredibly challenging as we watch home builders have negative sentiment. We watch mortgage lenders freak out about refi disappearing and purchase not running at the, at the speed that they, that they hoped and uh, watch real estate agents uh, contend with having challenges, getting listings and um, submitting offers on behalf of their buyers on dozens or hundreds of houses before they actually can find one that, that they can win. So it's a, it's an interesting market. Yeah. I, and I, I think we all knew that it was unsustainable, um, but historically, um, it's 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 the pace and the swiftness that rates move. So if 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 rates are kind of steadily going up, 
And the reason for that is that the economy is improving, incomes are accelerating, um, and times are good. That, that historically is okay for housing. Housing actually weathers it pretty well. The scenario that you don't want is rates shooting higher, uh, which is now what we're in. And that historically does cause uh, a pause, a pullback that could last longer than a backdrop where rates are just kind of rising steadily. The, I mean, the reason rates are shooting through the river now is rampant runaway inflation. And if you just pick up a paper and read what the Fed is telling you right now, and they've gotten extremely hawkish, um, we haven't seen that in quite a long time. All right. Fed chair, if you're listening to this, this is what the housing market needs. We need, we need, a, we need a slow increase in interest rates so we can uh, make the housing market more accessible for first-time home buyers and those seeking to, to get into a home. Um, Rick, thank you so yeah. much for sharing your expertise. This, uh, this survey, I didn't realize it was 13 years running, but that gives you some, some powerful insights into how builder sentiment and uh, market conditions change over a prolonged period of time. Yeah, it's uh, it's my favorite report, and the team there: Jody Kahn, Devin Bachman, Nicole Lusak. I mean, they're they're fantastic. Excellent. All right, Rick. Look forward to revisiting this topic with you uh, in the near future. Have a great one. Yeah. Thanks, Clayton. Bam! Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.